Thank you for coming to the podcast. Episode 55 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by two tremendous brands from the world of mixed martial arts. First, I want to tell you about Sisu Mouthguards. If you do a high-impact sport or activity and need to protect your chompers, and by extension your brain, head on over to sisuguard.com, that's sisuguard.com, and order yourself the thinnest and safest mouthguard ever invented. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink, all with the mouth guard up in your mouth. And the second company I want to mention is Datsusara Fight Gear. It's fight gear made entirely from hemp, the most gosh darn durable fight gear on the planet. It's antimicrobial. Hemp is like a trillion billion times stronger than cotton, and that's a fact. So head on over to dsgear.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, not case sensitive because that's how we roll and get yourself a nice little discount. So in summation, Sisu Mouthguard and Datsusara Hemp Gear bring you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We are rolling. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland, the co-editor of MMA-Manifesto.com, our mothership, part of the Sports Daily Network. We, of course, are available there, as well as TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, really wherever a podcast is being streamed. You know, Gumby, one of the things I love about our podcast is we just get right into the meat of things. We don't beat around the bush. We don't joke around, talk about our day, talk about our hair. We're here to just gab, like two gals in the park talking about MMA. <laughs> two gals? I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's get right into it. So, uh, Chael Sonin came back after a three-year layoff to fight Tito Ortiz and Bellator 170 on Friday night live on Spike TV. Did, did you watch it live? No. No, I didn't watch it live. And, I watched Titan. Titan was good live. And, uh, you know, it uh, the hype surrounding this, I think a lot of people thought this was going to be a turning point for Bellator. You know, the new wave was being ushered in. Chael and Tito. Tito's retirement fight. Chael's back. The best talker of all time. Chael didn't really look himself. Looked a little lighter. Hint, hint. And uh, you know what? Tito choked him out uh, in the first round with a rear naked choke slash neck crank. A lot of the uh, online uh, forum members, if you're a, a frequent member of a forum board, they're all talking about it. They think it was a work. Your thoughts? I, I don't think it was a work uh, only because, I, I mean, like, who would pay to have that work happen? Let's just define work real quick. It comes from old school circus talk derived from what they call carny talk in the pro wrestling days where you would fix a fight, make it seem as if it was real. But in fact, both participants are in on the quote unquote working of the fight. Yeah. And and usually when that happens too, the reason that the promoters do it is because they're trying to hype up somebody to win, right? Like, you know, in the pro wrestling, obvious reasons. But like like you said, in the old school days, the reason they were worried that MMA fights were fixed was because they were trying to put one fight fighter over. Why would they choose to put Tito Ortiz over, though? That's you know what I mean? Point. Like, he's a guy who who created his whole career as a UFC star. What does Bellator think they owe to him to give him a good send-off? And in the process, you're killing a guy that's under Bellator contract. For six I mean, fights. Yeah, look at how bad Shale Sonnen just looked. Okay. Who the fuck would buy anything with Shale Sonnen on it now? So now let's move through um, just the underbelly of fight sports. If not a work with promoter and both fighters in on it, 
Could it have been a fix where Chael took a dive early because he owed some people some money? Uh, man, I don't know about that. I mean, he, he looked like he was looking for submissions. I mean, he never quite got deep enough on that Doris uh, for it to be worth anything. I know some people were saying it looked like he didn't try to apply it. If you've ever tried to apply a Doris joke to somebody who's keeping their neck up, especially somebody who weighs 205 fucking pounds like Tito Ortiz does. He switched to that three-quarter Nelson grip to try to, like, force to the force it down, and, and it didn't work. And it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's typical. I mean, that happens in the gym all the fucking time, and with people way smaller and way less talented than Tito Ortiz. All right, so let's move past it all and just say it wasn't a work, despite It's what... a shitty fight. You wanted to talk about that? Yeah, I was going to say, so... <laughs> Let's take it from this angle. Uh, you know, Chael Sonnen, uh, three-year layoff, got absolutely just railroaded against Rashad Evans in his last fight. Here we are three years later, didn't look good against Tito. I remember saying on Saturday, pat myself on the back, or what, whatever day we were in our gym before the fight, and everyone was saying Chael was going to out-wrestle Tito. I said, I don't know, Tito's kind of big. That's one thing with Chael. I don't think he's really a best fit at 205 he's not a best fit at 205 especially without um yeah. you, with usada around yeah, yeah. Uh, whether or not they're in bellator all that much well i mean like, usada is not in bellator i, I mean yeah you're right yeah. but it's pretty clear that that he looked noticeably smaller and not just because he was at 205 i mean the guy's pretty much admitted that he's been roiding up because he said he said when he was leaving the ufc and everybody was talking about are you going to sign back with the ufc he said i'm not going back to the ufc as their testing is as good as i remember it being mm -hmm. so i mean like he's openly admitted he was on the stuff so like it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's off it now and that's just how he's gonna look yeah, and so the other thing he said in the post-fight is that now he has a sight set on uh, Vanderlei Silva. Obviously a grudge match that almost happened in the UFC, but didn't because they both ended up popping for steroids. Uh, I mean, again, I, it's not something I'm really rushing no, to I, see. And I think that's the problem with what Bellator is doing. And with that article you sent to me earlier from... Uh, Dave Meltzer, Dave, MMA Fighting. Dave Meltzer of MMA Fighting. He talked about the pay-per-view buys and the amount of viewers Bellator is getting. And I think this is what's happening to Bellator. They're well, shooting just, themselves in the foot. Just to be clear, not pay-per-view buys because they're not on pay-per-view. You're right. But yes. They're, they're but it was talking about pay-per-view buys and their views. Yeah, it was is, talking about UFC's pay-per-view buys and by extension mentioned that. Bellator's TV ratings took a dive in 2016. There is a caveat there. Spike TV not offered in as many homes anymore because mm -hmm. now it's a premium station. But to your point, the freak show fights are not doing what they want. No, no. I mean, I think it's getting quick bumps in the ratings. But in the meantime, if you turned into that as a casual fan and you were like, God, this is what they've got. Pass. Next time you see Bellator in your, your TV guide or on the, the guide button. Pass. You're not watching it again. It, it's just a low-quality product that they're churning out every single time for their main events. So, I, I mean, I, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot strike force style. I, I don't understand. Normally, you have overnight ratings the very next day unless there's a holiday. And sometimes an overnight rating, you know, for a Friday night might not come out till Monday morning. But as of taping on Monday night, Gumby, there are no ratings for Bellator 170. Oh, you know what? Because it actually was on Saturday, wasn't it? Yes, it was. A Saturday it was. It was a, normally, I'm so you might to, be able to get it tomorrow. Yeah, so tomorrow. So it's going to be very interesting to see what this pulled. And then, side note: What does Chael's next fight pull? Or, or what is even just the next card? What is this upcoming weekend's pull? I mean, this weekend's Chidi Enjikawani versus um, Melvin Goward as a main event. What is that pull as a 
because nobody. It'll be nothing. It, it's nothing because not only is that a shitty main event, but you followed it with a crappy product that a bunch of people tuned in for and associated your brand with crappy product. Now there was a rumor that uh, they have Bellator has extended a contract offer to Ryan Bader, who's a free agent. They're certainly picking up pieces here and there, uh, but you know I, I think we're just kind of saying it here. If they keep promoting the freak show fight and, you know, these legend fights, which just aren't very uh, competitive quality wise, it's it's hurting them in the long run. I, I think so. Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the co-main event, which was actually which very ex- damn exciting. <laughs> <laughs> you had uh, Paul Daly knocked out. Uh, was Brendan Ward? Brendan Ward. Yeah. Yep. Brendan Ward uh, with a spinning back fist followed up by a knee. Pretty nasty. What do you think? I thought it was awesome. And you know what? To me, this is what. Bellator should be building their brand around like this should be the main events of cards and stuff like that because this is something that has title implications you know you would put Brennan Ward or Paul Daly whatever one won towards a title fight so why not build up two guys who have a really fun style and instead you're promoting two guys who are on the way out uh, who made their name somewhere else it, it just seems like bad business that you're not putting somebody like Paul Daly over and giving him all the hype I have a uh, I guess promotional slash booking suggestion for Bellator it's not a perfect comparison but I would like to remind you Gumby of one UFC 157 it was the debut of Ronda Housey versus Liz Carmouche and the co-main event was two legends in our sport Henderson versus Machida Everyone and their mother said uh, that, you know, the main event should be um, Henderson Machida. But, of course, the title fight in the UFC, it ended up being Ronda Rousey, uh, Liz Carmouche was the main event. That, But they still use Leota Machida, Dan Henderson to, to get pull, the diehards in. Yeah, to get those diehards in. And that's how I think Bellator should be flipping this. I think the promotional hype should have been, if not more, at least equal on Ward versus Daly, make that the main event to signify this is our future, but we understand that we brought you in with our co-main event of the two names you Yeah, know. you can put them all over the poster. It doesn't matter. I think that's perfect. I 100% agree. All right, well, let's move now to some more uh, UFC fight booking and scheduling issues. The UFC has an event slated for Halifax, Canada on February 19th. Uh, the main event was supposed to be Stefan Struve versus JDS. Stefan Struve got injured, and then JDS was left without a partner. A lot of speculation who would take the fight. Various people raising their hands. Well, spoiler alert, JDS has just backed out completely. He's not going to be fighting anyone. So the event is now headlined by Derek Lewis versus the much maligned, hate that word, Travis Brown. I, I think that that's a good fight to main event. I, I'm a little bit bummed out at the, the JDS failure to book him because there were rumors out there that they offered Verdum the fight because uh, he was supposed to fight in December and Verdum turned it down. Uh, and then that they offered uh, JDS somebody else, some unknown replacement, and he turned that down. And it just seems really weird to me that both of those guys seem to be going the opposite route of our our lightweight contenders, right? They're going the opposite route of the Habib Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson routes in that they don't want to take any fight. And then both of them are clamoring for a title shot. I mean, Verdum said as soon as the the fight with... Who, who did, oh, he's supposed to fight Kane. The fight with Kane got turned off. He was like, oh, then that, this must mean I'm just next in line for a title shot. And, and there was almost the same sentiment out of JDS. And it's kind of, I, I don't know. 
Do you think either of those two are ready for a title shot right now uh, without I, fighting somebody? No. I mean, the only person I can think in recent memory that got a title fight off of a canceled fight was when Johnny Hendricks missed weight and Tyron Woodley became the next challenger to yeah. the welterweight title. That was such an aberration and so weird. You know, the UFC, you typically fight your way to the title shot. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know what either what, guy And is. that's what I was thinking, too, is that, like, the UFC pats you on the back if you save something for him. If JDS fought, let's say, one of the only heavyweights who's not booked, um, the big ones, uh, Alexander Volkov, coming off a win off of Tim Johnson, 1-0, former Bellator champ, ranked like 12th in the rankings. If they offered him Volkov and he took it and saved the card and knocked out the 12th ranked guy, he probably gets a title shot, right? The UFC pats him on the back. Thanks for saving that card for us. Thanks for bringing in our ratings. Here's a title shot. Turning everything down and then expecting a title shot, I don't think that's the way WME is going to do this stuff. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I don't uh, I don't think Verdum and JDS really have a head for booking title fights no. and whatnot. They're just, you know, trying to pump themselves up in this era of Conor McGregor. I think their management would be wise to advise them to just take the fight against each other, settle on a date, and, uh, you know, then the winner is obviously primed for... Yeah, you, that, you, you wouldn't be able to deny the winner, that's for sure. Uh, now, it's worth mentioning the new headliner of UFC Halifax, uh, Travis Brown, Honda Housey's gr- uh, boyfriend. Uh, he moved camps. He left Glendale Fight Club, as many people have been clamoring for Ronda to do. What do you make of that? He moved to Black House MMA, also in Southern California. Seems like a perfect spot for him. They're really good with those uh, those like taller, rangier fighters working their push kicks, which we already know he's got a killer push kick um, or front kick because he knocked out over him with that front kick so we already know he's got some of that stuff so i think working with guys and and picking up a thing or two there and his striking is going to make him pretty dangerous i mean it's undoubtedly a good move i'm not sure it's a hundred percent the best move but it's a damn good move well here's what i like about it is it possible uh much the way in battle you send out a reconnaissance team to scout out your enemy is this possible that ronda is going to ask How's it going down there? Could this be step number one in her finally leaving Glendale Fight Club? I mean, I see. I, I feel like that's what the news is trying to suggest when Brown moved. I, I mean, I don't know what Black House has repping for, for women's fighters right now. I'm Gabby just, Garcia. Does Gabby Garcia fight now at Black House? <laughs> that's what's listed on Wikipedia. Oh, God, it could be wrong. I, I'm just thinking to myself. I'm thinking I, I can't think of Kat Zingano. Is she Black House? It, she isn't, actually. Isn't she? she's uh, in, Oak, or in uh, Colorado, yeah, right? Yeah. With, Elevation. Elevation. Yeah. yeah, I thought so, too. So, uh, I mean, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but you got to imagine working with some killer. I mean, it's that's a majority really good striking gym. I mean, that's where Silva used to get a ton of his mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm, the Shogun mm-hmm. was there for a while. I mean, like, Black House is a place where she's going to get killer striking. It would be a good move for her. It was a good move for Brown. All right. Well, let's move now to the ever uh, fast-paced changing world of fighters moving weight divisions. Gil Melendez, former uh, UFC title challenger at lightweight, is saying that he will be cutting down to 145. Your thoughts? Uh, I I mean, I think it might be a good move for him. Did he ever seem like the big guy at 55? Absolutely not. He seems very lean. Yeah. I I mean, so... Uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can get down there and not completely lose all of his energy. Cause I, I mean, I feel like that would really suck a lot out of him. but if he can make it down there and he can make it down there safe, there's good fights for him. I mean, he's not going to be the 55 champ now. 
So, you know, whatever he has to do to, to get himself back in contention, maybe this is it. Just looking at his record, it looks like his last featherweight fight was uh, Rumble on the Rock 4 all the way back at UFC, or uh, sorry, all the way back in the year 2003 in Honolulu, Hawaii. He That's was 14 years, years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, he's a much younger man. But uh, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, featherweight and lightweight are both pretty stacked right now. Uh, but I get with lightweight... You know, he already had his title shot. He's got a big contract. There are like eight guys off the top of my head that are, know, at, are ahead of him. Yeah. So I get it. Now, the other rumor du jour was that Anderson Silva floated it out there that he can make 170 pounds. He's done it in a test cut. Yeah, I, I'll believe it when I see it. I, I believe Gil Melendez way more than I believe Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva says a lot of shit. Anderson does <laughs> say a lot of shit. Um, now, do you believe, because I think it came out recently that Michael Bisping is getting, I know it came out recently that Michael Bisping is getting knee surgery. Only, I think it's just a scope, only putting him out till the spring. What do you think is going to happen with the middleweight title shot, knowing now that Bisping is under the knife? I think you're probably damn close to seeing an interim title fight Jesus. in the middleweight division. I, I I mean, run back uh, as soon as Jacare and Yol. Yeah, as soon as Jacare blasts Tim Bosch, because, you know, no offense to Tim Bosch, that's not a fight for him. Um, once he blasts Bosch, r- run him and Yoel. You know, you could run it on a fight pass main event or co main event on a pay per view, and I'd watch the hell out of it. Uh, and, and it would be good to have somebody lined up for Bisping to fight afterwards. All right, and then speaking of middleweights and fight announcements, uh, the UFC is going back to Buffalo on April 8th. It'll be UFC 210, and uh, it has been announced that Chris Weidman will be fighting Gegard Mousasi. Very interesting here because, one, Chris Weidman is on a two-fight losing streak, the first in his career, and Dos, Gegard Mousasi, is in the last fight of his UFC contract. Very interesting to think if he were to beat Chris Weidman and then hit free agency. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing. I'll add even a third interesting thing to that. Weidman was hinting that he was going to 205 for all that time. So to see him at... Back at 185 is interesting. You almost wonder if the UFC is doing it on purpose because if... If Gegard wins, they can lowball him and say, you just beat a guy in a two-fight losing streak. Like, what the fuck do we care? Uh, and if he loses, I, I mean... Then, then their he, goal. It, they love it when I someone mean, they, loses and goes to free agency. Exactly. Yeah. They love that shit. And, and really, Chris Weidman's a bad matchup for him. It's not like Gegard's going to wrestle him up. No. No. So, I mean, and if it turns into a striking match, yeah, I probably like Gegard in a striking match there. But, I, I mean, that's that seems like a tough matchup for him. I love that this event is back in Buffalo. I will tell a quick personal story. I know we don't like to do that this much on this podcast, but when I was a fat 12-year-old, I went into my local video store and got UFC The Brawl in Buffalo on VHS, <laughs> and I I still have the VHS, so I love that uh, this event is coming back to Buffalo. Nice. I'm pretty excited about it. Do you know it. what number event that was? I think it was eight. Eight? I want to say eight. Now I'm going to have to look it up. We'll have the intern look it up. Um, but yeah, I know, uh, Paul Varlins made it to the main event against, I want to say Pedro Hizzo. Does that sound right? Yeah, that sounds right. The brawl in Buffalo. Ken, Sh- Ken Sham- Hizzo might still be fighting. What? Yeah. That seems like it should be illegal. Okay. So I was one off. It was UFC seven. Uh, and Ken Shamrock drew with Olag Takturov in the Super Fight Championship, <laughs> uh, lasted a robust 33 minutes and it was, sorry. Yeah. Marco Huas beat Paul Varlins uh, in the final. Yeah. Not Pedro Hizzo. My bad. But a fun event there. Check it out on UFC Fight Pass if you're a subscriber. All right. We will transition now to our interview with UFC heavyweight Justin Ledette. 
we got a chance to catch up with him. We're excited to play uh, the interview for you. He's a funny guy. This is our second time catching up with him. And of course, this interview is brought to you by Datsusara Hemp Gear. Datsusara makes fight gear out of hemp, uh, which means it's super durable. Hemp is like a million, trillion, billion times infinity more strong than cotton and also antimicrobial. Hemp is basically the best thing you can make clothes out of. And that's what they do for fight gear. Both Gumby and I have their fight shorts. We highly recommend them. It's my favorite pair of fight shorts. And if you're a gi player, they make hemp gis as well. Super strong, very cool looking. Head on over to dsgear.com. That's dsgear.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLE, all one word, not case sensitive. That's how we roll. And get yourself a nice little discount. Datsusara Hemp Gear brings you our interview with UFC heavyweight Justin Ledette. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte, and we are talking with Justin Ledette, who fights Dmitry Sosnovsky at Ultimate Fight Night 104 in Houston on February 4th. Uh, Justin, you know, we, we talked to you before your debut, uh, which was just six months ago, which is crazy to think about. So this is going to be your third fight in less than six months. Uh, was that all part of the plan, or is this just a lucky coincidence that you're on a steamroll, not getting hurt, and, and back in the cage already? Uh, just just a lucky roll, man, really. It's just, it's, like you said, it's been crazy. It's only been, like you said, six months, and it's already my third fight. So it's been a roller coaster for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, when we spoke to you before your debut, which was against Chase Sherman, uh, you told us, you were, you know, you said, uh, you know, I went back and listened to it. You said, I'm definitely much more than a, just a good boxer. Uh, you boxed up Chase Sherman, boxed him up real bad, and then you came out in that second fight against Mark Godbeer. We, we saw something completely different in you. We saw, you know, a grappling game that was on point, wound up getting the choke out. Was it something that you saw in Godbeer that left, led to you grappling more, or were you out there looking to show the world that you were just as good in grappling as you are with your hands? Uh, no, nah, it was something I just felt that night, you know, uh, something that I just saw that night. Uh, that definitely wasn't part of the game plan, but it ended up working out, so I'm definitely happy with that. Let's talk a little bit about grappling for your, for your upcoming fight, too, because, uh, you know, Dmitry Sosnovsky is a you know, former wrestler. He's a hell of a grappler. He trains with Alexi Olenek, who the fight night in Phoenix picked up an amazing submission win, too. Is it safe to say that, uh, you, you know, without giving too much away from your, uh, your game plan, that this is definitely a, an opportunity to showcase more of your boxing? Uh, yeah, that's the game plan. Uh, we we uh, definitely been working a lot on my grappling and my wrestling, but... We're, we're looking to keep this fight on the, the feet, man. We're looking to defend those takedowns and really put on another striking display. We've talked to a lot of heavyweights over the last uh, year's time, and, and something that we constantly hear from, from heavyweights is that it, it's really hard to find training partners because there are so few guys out there who are 260 pounds or 240 pounds. You know, that's just not the way that the, the human body grows typically. Do you find it hard to find, especially in, even in Texas, do you, do you find it hard to find training partners who fit what you're looking for? Uh, of course, man. We usually have to, uh, you know, look around for sure. And usually uh, we don't find a lot of M M MMA heavyweights. You know, we have to get like pro boxers or you know, get jujitsu guys to, to simulate certain certain aspects of what we're looking for. And that's what we've been doing this training camp and the, the previous training camps as well. So so did you go out and find, you know, some, some jujitsu guys and some, some wrestlers to, to drill the wrestling takedowns with? Oh, for sure. Uh, I brought uh, a wrestler out of uh, Salt Lake City. His name Cole Schaefer. He's my wrestling coach, and he's been working with me a lot and a couple different bigger black belts from uh, Gracie Barra. I've been working with for this fight to get ready to kind of simulate, you know, the big body and 
you know, uh, we uh, my trainers watched a couple of tapes on him, and we know he kind of bull rushes in for those takedowns and pushes you up against the fence. So that's what I've been working on, and just you know, keeping my range and my distance, and working on the timing aspect of everything. And we feel like it, it, we got the right game plan for him, for him, and uh, we're just looking to perform, man, February fourth. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know that that makes a lot of sense bringing in, in specific guys like that. So let's let's switch a little bit to uh, a, a different part of of the fight coming up. So. You're you're fighting pretty much in your backyard, right? You're a Texas guy. You're fighting in Houston. Uh, how exciting was it when the UFC booked you to be on a Houston card? Uh, it was just uh, just exciting as any other fight. I was I was more so wanting this fight just because I didn't have to fly. Uh, that was the main reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hate uh, flying, so that was that was the main reason I wanted to get on this card. You know, just come here and don't have to travel any. Don't have to worry about time change or high elevation. I train here all the time, so that was that was definitely what I was looking for in this fight. Absolutely, and so I can suggest by that answer, or I could guess by that answer that you probably don't feel a whole lot of added pressure fighting in front of friends and family. Nah, nah, not at all, man. It's just another fight. Uh, you know, if you get caught up in all that, man, you're going to get your mind off the fight, and that's not where my head is at. Uh, my head is always on business, and I'm just excited to fight, man, whether it be for the UFC or anywhere else. You know, anytime that you can go out there and do what you love, man, it, it's always a blessing. So I'm very fortunate for that. So, um, you know, with with this fight coming up, you know, you've, you've said you've got a really relaxed attitude, which is an awesome attitude to have. You're not in any rush to go anywhere. Uh, you know, you are going somewhere very quickly, though. You know, you're 2-0. and You might be 3-0 and in, in six months' time. Being so closely ranked to the top, does it frustrate you that they're continuously feeding you uh, guys with no UFC experience? Were you looking for a quicker move up the ranks? Uh, not really, man. Uh, I'm just enjoying the the, the path, you know, that, and that's what you got to do. You can't ask for too much, you know. You got to get in there and you got to pay your dues. You know, I'm only 8-0 right now, 8 fights. And so, you know, I got no business calling out somebody or looking to get moved up the ranks, you know. Let me get in there, and I'll pay my dues as long as I have to to get where I want to be, man. I got no problem with that at all. Well, if you keep boxing people up like you currently are and, uh, you know, picking up three wins every six months, I wouldn't imagine that it's going to keep you too far down there. Now, again, you know, your laid-back style here, you certainly probably don't have any of this on your mind, but, you know, I was flipping through the, the UFC.com rankings, and they've got all of the rankings of the different people up there. Somebody has already got two different writers, actually, already have you ranked in the top 15. Uh, any thoughts about, you know, being ranked and, and moving up that ladder quicker? Uh, nah, man, I really don't even pay attention to that. Uh, I'm just, like I said, I, as long as I can keep, uh, if I can stay healthy and keep getting these fights, man, that's all I'm worried about, and getting this money, man. <laughs> and as long as I can keep doing that, man, I'm happy. No matter what my rank is, if they keep paying me how they are, man, I, I'm, I'm happy enough with that. So let's just go through this uh, role play for a second. If you win, uh, you know, at, at UFC uh, Ultimate Fight Night 104 in Houston, are you calling someone out? Or are you just saying, hey, whatever you guys want to throw at me, what, what would be the plan, you know, for after this fight? Man, that's a tough question because, like I said, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm any, really in any real position to call anybody out. But at the same time, I feel like they kind of pressure you pressure you into calling somebody out you know yeah but uh man there's so many heavyweights in the division right now i i watched the the ufc phoenix uh last night and they had what four heavyweight fights or three heavyweight fights yeah three. and so three. man there's yeah and there's so many heavyweights out there i mean 
I mean, no, there's no sense in calling uh, anybody out. I mean, they got enough heavyweights. They can find somebody for me to fight, you know, <laughs> hate me or whatever, you know. Sure, sure. Um, now, you are a massive boxing fan. I know there were some reports online that you actually declined uh, Fight Night 99 bout because you wanted to watch Ward Kovalev. H- how true was that? Oh, man, that was, that, was, uh, that was very true, man. I almost <laughs> did not take that, man, because of it. Because I ended up missing the fight anyways because of the time difference in Ireland. So I was very bummed out about that. But, uh, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Uh, but I came away with some... Uh, with a win, of course, so that's good. And uh, but yeah, I, I almost didn't. I had I had to talk myself into it. I wasn't very happy with that. Wow. All right. So I think you're one of the better people to ask this. Then, being such a big boxing fan, having the boxing background that you have, and also being a uh, you know a UFC fighter, if this Connor versus Floyd things ha- if Floyd fight happens, if Connor boxes Floyd, just put on your analyst hat for a second. What happens? How does that fight go down? Man, of course. I mean, unless I mean, you uh, Connor is obviously you know he's throwing with some massive uh, power, uh, so of course he has a puncher's chance, but uh, not a not a big chance. Uh, Floyd is going to go down as one of the best boxers of all time. So uh, for you know him to be in a ring with him, maybe if it was under MMA rules, it'd be a lot different, you know. Sure. Uh, but in a boxing ring, uh, I think uh, Connor would really have to kind of focus on boxing and really you know step away and really take it seriously go and really train for a good year year and a half of strictly boxing to really put up even a slight chance against Floyd I mean even though Floyd's getting older in age his uh his quickness reflexes and IQ are all still there he hasn't taken no damage pretty much his entire career so that's going to be uh what puts him over the top you know and he's one of the smartest fighters to ever ever play the game of boxing and he does it the best you know it might not be the best uh fight to watch but you know uh boxing is to to hit people and not get hit and he does that the best so very well said i mean justin ledette if this ufc thing doesn't work out i think you have a, a career as an analyst uh down the road hey <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd be okay with that i think i'd be pretty good i have a problem though I'd have a slight problem with not making fun of the fighters as an analyst, though, man, because I, I say some <laughs> wrong stuff sometimes. I'm not going to lie. And I, then I laugh a lot uh, at some of the stuff they do. So may, maybe not. Maybe that's not the best job. Uh, I mean, you just sold me. I, like, I'll petition my local congressman right now. I want to hear you making fun of fighters <laughs> while providing analyzation. That sounds awesome. Um, listen, Justin, we can't thank you enough for the time. Justin fights Dmitry Sosnovsky at... Uh, Fight Night 104 in Houston on February uh, 4th. Uh, So, Justin, thanks once again, and good luck in the fight. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, Gumby, there you have it. UFC heavyweight Justin Ledette. Yeah, very exciting matchup coming up with Sosnovsky. You got to love the future for this guy in the heavyweight division. Needs guys, so this is exciting. We'll move now to UFC on Fox 23. Uh, This card is headlined with a very interesting matchup uh, at women's bantamweight. You have Valentina Shevchenko coming off the biggest win of her career. She beat Holly Holm this past summer, lost to the champ Amanda Nunes back in March of last year, but it was a very close fight, and I believe she won the third and final round, beat Sarah Kaufman before that. So Shevchenko, whose striking is very dangerous, is 2-1 and one in her last three. Juliana Pena, the Venezuelan vixen, as she is known, is on a... Uh, Four-fight win streak uh, since leaving the Ultimate Fighter house. She's beaten 
uh, Jessica Ricosi, Milana Dudivia, Jessica I, and her biggest win to date, Katzengano back at UFC 200. Who you got here, Gumby? I think I'm going with Shevinko. In addition to, like, you know the fact that fights start on the feet, you know, I, I'm just thinking back to some of those moments in the Nunez-Shevinko fight when, I mean, like, as the fight went on, Shevinko just looked like she got tougher and tougher, and it's not just like she was beating Nunez on the feet a little bit. I mean, she beat her up on the ground a little bit, too. I mean, like, it, it wasn't just... Striking, 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 and, and they're painting this as the striker and grappler. But I'm also just overall not sure that Lima or uh, Pena, Pena, sorry, not Juliana Lima, different UFC fighter. Juliana Pena is going to get her down on top. She might work from the bottom, but I don't think she's going to sub her from the bottom, and I don't think she's going to be able to get Shevchenko down. I think that's very well said, Gumby. I've been very impressed with Shevchenko. Just I think we're watching a career uh, just uh, ascension right mm-hmm. now. She's peaking at just the right time. Obviously, the striking background, but uh, Pena, I also love as a grappler, obviously, um, but I agree with you that it kind of comes down to, can Pena get this fight to the ground? Because if this fight stays standing, uh, I pick Shevchenko all day, all day every day. Yeah. Um, that being said, Vegas doesn't know what the F to make of this fight. Uh, you could get Juliana Pena as a minus 105. Uh, you could get Shevchenko as a minus 115 in most sports books. So right on the line. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the co-main event is very exciting as well. You have Donald Cerrone, who has been a beast at 170 pounds. He is on a uh, three-fight win streak since moving to welterweight. Beat Alex Oliveira. Beat Patrick Cote. Beat Rick Story. And he's fighting one of the more under-appreciated uh, fighters at welterweight. He'll be fighting Jorge Masvidal who's 2-1 and one in his last three, lost a very close split decision to Lorenz Larkin, then beat Ross Pearson, then beat Jake Ellenberger. Who you got here, Gumby? Uh, I mean, I, th- I think we're going to go with with Cowboy. Uh, not that, you know, like you said, Masvidal is, is grossly underrated in that 170 division. To me, just right now, Cowboy is just on a different level at 170. He's a guy who I'm thinking is right up there in the top four or five people who I'd like to see get a title shot soon. I mean, it's not just that he's winning. You know, a win over Rick's story is nice, but it's the way he's winning. I mean, he's putting together combos that people don't see coming. The combo on Rick's story was just absolutely ridiculous. Four-piece combo with two sides. Yeah, and on top of that, you know, if you think about it too, Rick's story is notoriously a tough person to knock out. So just the power and the combos he's putting together now, I think this is a Cowboy win all day. Well, you could get Cowboy at a minus 165 favorite if you're feeling frisky. Jorge Masvidal, plus 145 dog. Gumby, we'll talk about this one somewhat in depth because I know Arlovsky is somewhat of a hero <laughs> to you. Somewhat. Uh, and I, I am sad to say, uh, despite being the underdog here, or sorry, despite being the heavy favorite here, he is coming off two losses in a row, lost to Alistair Overeem. He's, got, he's not a heavy favorite, uh, I don't believe. He's a heavy underdog, if I'm uh, pretty pretty sure i think he's like a four to one underdog if, if you double check those odds of course my Put com- the intern on yeah it. my computer i mean the intern's computer is <laughs> uh you're right sorry uh, i looked at it too quickly arlovsky the plus 340 dog naganu the minus 425 favorite and here's why folks He's lost three in a row, actually. He lost to Stipe, the now champ. He lost to Alistair Overeem, and he got submitted by Josh Barnett. So last year was not kind to Andre Arlovsky. Two TKO losses, one submission loss. 
Ngannou, on the other hand, is a prospect on the rise. He is 4-0 and in the UFC, coming off a nice Kimura win, a submission victory via Kimura over Anthony Hamilton back in December. So quick turnaround for him. What are you thinking here? So to me, I, I mean, I, I'm going to try to keep my fanboy out of this. Obviously, you love the young prospect who's 4-0 in the UFC. But look at that list of four guys he's beat. He's largely unproven. Like, the best name on that list is Luis Henrique. And if you watch the fight with him and Luis Henrique, Henrique had him stunned. I, people thought Henrique, like, was going in for the finish when he got caught with an uppercut. So, I mean, like, for him to be a, a vast favorite over a former champ, those are really dangerous odds. And I think that if you like... Arlovsky with a puncher's chance here. Four to one odds is awesome. All right. Very well said. Uh, Alex Caceres taking on Jason Knight. Caceres coming off that very close uh, loss to Yair Rodriguez. Caceres, the plus 140 dog. Jason Knight, the minus 160 favorite. This kicks off the main card on Fox. Your quick thoughts. I'm a little bit surprised here. Alex is an uh, underdog, but I think he's a good pick here. Jason Knight's grappling's good, but uh, I, I mean, I think Caceres is enough to stay safe and win the striking. Battle. When you look at the prelims, uh, two fights stand out to me very much so. You have Rafa Sansau uh, taking on friend of the show, Aljamain Sterling. Bi- both guys need the win. What do you think? I- I'm like an Aljamain Sterling, and he is also an underdog in this card. I mean, there's a lot of good underdog plays here. Um, I like his wrestling, and with a Sansau having not fought very much, I mean, I think, you know, Funk Master's got the the headline there, uh, and Funk Master is the plus one twenty dog. Asansao minus one forty favorite, and then two big names will basically main event the prelims on Fox Sports One, and that is to say that Nate Marquardt will be fighting Sam Alvey. Alvey is a minus one fifty favorite. Marquardt the plus one thirty dog. Oh, I love Alvey's chance in this to get a big name win, just because his you know big punching power. Nate Marquardt notoriously gets hit quite a bit. Uh, I think that's a good one for Alvey. And wrapping this up, Gumby. Anyone else? Uh, or any other fights you're really, really looking forward to? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, two flyweights off of the season of the Ultimate Fighter flyweights finally getting their shot with Alexandre Pantoja versus Eric Shelton. Probably two of my favorite off of that show anyway. Uh, Shelton's a young guy with just loads of athleticism. Pantoja was the favorite to win the show. Um, you know, gun to my head, I, I pick Pantoja just because he has that uh, championship uh, experience in a bigger promotion. Shelton's fun to watch, though. All right. You heard it here first. Gumby's picks, parlays. You could check them out on our Facebook page. Also follow the show Top Turtle MMA on Twitter. You could email the show Top Turtle MMA at Gmail. We're accepting both love and hate mail. And there wouldn't be a show without you, the fans. We thank you so much for tuning in. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby Vreeland. This was episode 55 of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.